This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. It's time now for Green Thumbs in Canterbury, out and about with the Canterbury Horticultural Society. Ray and Lorraine from Canterbury Horticultural Society, out and about in Christchurch. And Lorraine, how are you this morning? I'm really good, thank you, Ray. Yes. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Getting and through the cold weather. and uh, winter's, yeah. winter's here, isn't it? it? Is. And yeah. what weather we've been having. Goodness, what a change. June, the, the warmest month on record. And now we've caught up with all the rainfall that we were missing for the rest, you know, earlier in the year. Yeah. So, you know, it's winter and you mm. just have to put up with it. We do, but yeah. we, we did need it though, didn't we? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So yeah. what are you up to in the garden? Um, not a lot with the with the weather its way it's been. I haven't yeah. been doing a lot in the garden because it's yeah. just been too wet. Oh, and at this time of year, it's not time to do anything major. No, not really. Not no. really. Yeah, no, so, no yep. just maybe putting a bit of lime on the garden every three to four years to do that, so yeah. to yeah. help the pH of it. That's right, and especially the veggie garden. Yes, you know if you grow if you're growing brassicas. Boy, lime does wonders for brassicas. So, oh, right. Yeah. Okay. I'll so look it's always to... good to put them okay, on. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Um, and of course, some of us have got crops in. Some people are very good and have got their carrots and everything in. If you have to walk on the garden, please put a board down so you distribute your weight. Because everywhere you put your foot, you'll compact the soil and destroy the soil. Um, you know, quality of the soil. Mm. So it's a good idea to try and keep off, especially in this soggy, soggy weather we've got. Mm, mm. Yeah, and try and go on on sunny days when it's you know when it's not teeming down with rain. <laughs> no, well, I don't think any of us want to be out in the teeming rain, do we? That's well, right. Yeah, you never know. Yeah, <laughs> and of course, you know, it'll start sort of you know, it's spring is only just around the corner. That's right, and the spring bulbs are coming through, aren't they? Absolutely. And, yes. Um, yeah. So when it when it does start getting a bit better, and August, mm. Um, mm. a good time to give the soil a bit of a dig over, dig in some compost and yes. sheep pellets. Yeah, um, time just give, and get just, it ready, get them ready, and give them time to break down a bit before yeah. um, you start doing your spring planting. Mm. A little later in spring than, than September, I think. <laughs> so anyway, um, we've had a couple of quite interesting people we've spoken to this um, this week, haven't we? We have. Yes, yeah. I talked to Haley Julieta from the Otakaru. Avon River Corridor. Um, it used to be known as the Red Zone, but it's now called the, that. And Haley focused on is focuses on the River Corridor and the community that um, led projects that are happening. That's so. right, and all the foraging opportunities yes. and things like that. Yes, mm. yes, very yeah. interesting. And yeah. I talked to Niall Drain, who's the patron of the Canterbury Horticultural Society, and of course it's our hundred and sixtieth. Yeah, this year. So Niall's mm. um, talking about the very early history mm. of um, when the, the Botanic Garden started, when the Horticultural Society was involved. And mm. so, you know, he's got a fund of, of knowledge he so, has. to share with yes. people. Yeah. Goes back a long way. He does. <laughs> yes. Good morning. We're talking to Hayley Julieta from the Caro. River Avon Corridor Regeneration Plan. Now, Hayley, I know I've heard that you have many hats, so maybe you could tell us 
what part you're doing in this? Um, I am the network manager for the Avon Otakaro network. Um, and <clears throat> our organisation came about from just after the earthquakes when the government announced that the, there would be 5,000 houses red zoned along the river corridor. Um, and so since then we've been advocating for um, that land not to be broken up, not to be rebuilt on, but for a, this is a legacy for the city to restore the land and also enable to, us to clean the stormwater that comes off our urban environment before it hits our river so that we can actually clean up our awa. And so this is a really amazing opportunity and my job really is to continue to advocate for that. Um, in the last 12 months, the um, government has, uh, well, they spent three years, nearly three to five years, um, talking about the regeneration plan and putting the regeneration plan together. And last year, we had the global settlement with the government, uh, which has put this plan in place. So the whole river corridor now has its own district plan. Uh -huh. So it can't be built on. Right. Um, and now the government, LINS, is transferring the titles to the City Council. Mm -hmm. That's happening as we speak. So hopefully within the next 12 months, the ownership of the land will be with, back with the city and the council can start the work to actually transform it into this big project. Mm -hmm. So what will happen is the, all of the land around the river will be returned to wetlands, um, mostly, and this then will capture the stormwater runoff from the urban environment and clean the water before it goes back into our awa. The other opportunity is the stop banking. In the stop banking, when when people settled in the city, they put a V into the river uh, to contain the river, basically. Um, so it doesn't let the river occur in its natural way. So the stop banking will restore the river back to how it would normally act. And that means that the river can breathe uh, and it can also create an environment for biodiversity and for our Nunga spawning and the wildlife that exists, the eels, to thrive rather than at the moment they don't have, have the opportunity right. in some places. And we saw a, a couple of weeks ago with the flooding, the surrounding land around the river does mm. for the city. Mm. We, it, you could see. It where floods in different areas, doesn't it? At, and, and, yeah. and is that where the river was meant to be? Well, that's, yeah, where the wetlands were meant to be, oh, really. Okay. Yeah, right. when, the, when the first people came to Christchurch and saw the Avon. They actually called it the Avon Lakes because that's what it looked like. Because it wasn't just one river? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh. So this is an opportunity, really. It's a fantastic... It's an intergenerational project, mm. uh, for one, and it's a legacy that um, these 5,000-plus people have left our city, and we should honour that mm. by getting this work done mm. and, and doing it, um, upholding the vision of, of having our clean river. Huge, huge job. Yeah, so my job is to hold that vision and advocate for it. Wow. So um, I, my work includes um, advocating for the people that have, have left, mm -hmm. uh, advocating for the people that have remained. There's in fact 27 people that have remained inside the corridor. Oh, okay. uh, advocating for the surrounding communities, so the suburbs and the people mm -hmm. that exist still, mm -hmm. to make sure that they 
um, are being heard and their voices are being heard mm -hmm. in this project, mm -hmm. and also advocating for the people who are wanting to do permanent and transitional projects inside the corridor. Yeah. And another big passion of mine is retaining the foraging aspects of the corridor and also trying to retain some of the trees of significance because right. this, this was people's home. And so foraging, so anybody can go on the red zone and do some foraging? Yes, yeah. So there's, it has declined in the last 10 years. I've seen that myself because mm -hmm. I've been... I live on the edge of the red zone, so I'm a big forager, yeah. Like, I, I spend a lot of time foraging, okay. uh, right from day one, and yeah. I have seen the decline in, oh. in, the, in the trees because they're not being looked after. But in particular, the citrus, the grapevines, the kiwi fruit, that type of thing, they have not really thrived in these mm. current conditions. Mm. And you can also see in areas such as Waitaki Street, further downstream, uh, where... You know the, the there's the trees are not thriving because they are getting wet feet oh, and, okay. and have the ground sunk and stuff right. so um but there is an opportunity for us to retain that the foraging aspects as the infrastructure works happen yeah. by purposefully um protecting areas where we can little orchards and maybe adding to them yeah. so i'm working with the council at the moment on that on where we can find and identify little pockets that we can put, retain some orchards, but also where there's guardians, so people that can look after them. Yes, yeah. yes, which yeah. needs to be done. Yeah, yeah. And, and they would typically be connected with community groups, such as Richmond Community Garden, oh, okay. another one of my hats. Um, <laughs> you wear many hats. I do. The Dallington um, community are really keen. To, to have some areas. Mm -hmm. uh, Burwood as well, very keen. And we've got some fantastic schools projects wow. where the schools are, are kaitiaking spaces. So we have Christchurch East in the Avon Loop, uh, Fito in the Avon Side Loop, and Banks have school mm -hmm. uh, just across from their current site. Yeah, my granddaughter goes there. Oh, nice. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yep. yeah. Yep. So they're pretty excited to move to the new site, yes. but equally yeah. it'd be sad to see them move away from being so close to the corridor, but they're still pretty close. So I'm hoping they'll, close. yeah, yeah. I'm hoping they'll stay connected. Yeah. So yeah, so we, yeah, we, so we really, our organisation, the Avonataka Network, we really focused on the corridor as a whole, mm -hmm. uh, and the things that we can do to, to get, you know, get people in there and mm -hmm. provide really good access. Mm -hmm. and so one of the projects that we've been doing. Um, for a while now and with the council team is removing all the internal fences so oh. it's easier to get in and out of yeah. and putting in entrance ways on the roadsides so that you've got more places that you can walk in and out of the corridor. Mm -hmm. So we're hoping that will encourage more people mm -hmm. to get in there and enjoy nature. And the council have been very helpful? They have been, yes. Yes, they have a fantastic red zone team mm -hmm. um, who have only been working probably for the last six months maybe a bit longer, but uh, they're all very excited about the prospects and the work. Nice. Yes. Yeah. Right. Yep. And very enthusiastic to collaborate and work alongside for some of these things that we're implementing. Yeah. And, and it sounds like it would be good for some people, because I live quite by the red zone, um, by um, Chisnell Wood Intermediate, just there. So, um, you know, if I wanted to help out, so we would, where would be a good place to sort of go to? So... At the moment, there's hairs planting going on. So there's some fantastic organisations. There's um, Avon Forest Park, mm 
they have just about everywhere here have either a planting at Horseshoe Lake or Brooker, which is Brooker's very close to you, um, and a few other restoration sites around that they have around the corridor where they mainly do weeding um, and things, but they're definitely planting in Brooker and Horseshoe Lake. And the Eco Action team is a school space program, but they're always on the lookout for volunteers as well. Right. Yeah. Oh, Sounds great. Cool. Yeah. Hayley, have you got anything else you'd like to say today? Uh, yes, I would. Um, the this uh, Avon or Takaro Avon River Corridor opportunity is unique to our city, and as I mentioned before, it's a legacy for future generations. Mm-hmm. Um, and because the stakeholders in this are varied, it's an unusual project. Um, so the stakeholders, I mean, the people that have left, the people left mm-hmm. behind, the projects, the council, the government, and mana whenua, it's really important that it's governed correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, so we would, and we advocate for, and we're hoping that by the end of this year there'll be a co-governance model in place, and that co-governance will be mana whenua, the city council and community, so that going forward the stakeholders are honoured and the work is done holding the vision that everyone has for this. Right. So, and so will they have um, some say in, in what goes on or not? The, I mean, the people who have left, do they have a, a part in it? Or? By having a co-governance model that's structured in that way, we'll definitely keep the voices of everybody oh, okay. involved in the decision making. Okay, yeah, great. Yeah. Okay, awesome. Thank you very much, Hayley. And you're, you're going and you're going to be at all about um, at the kiosk with um, all about gardening in August. So. Yes, and we're also going to be. For the whole week, from the 1st till the 8th, there'll be an exhibition in here um, displaying all of the fantastic projects and organisations and advocacy groups that have been involved in this. That'll be be great to see. This morning I'm talking to Niall Drain. Niall Drain's the patron of the Canterbury Horticultural Society and a man of many talents. Now, Niall... How many years have you been involved with the CHS? Well, something like 55, I think. Ooh, I think you'd be a bit shy on that too, aren't you? (laughs) Or maybe a bit more, yes. Yes, so of course, the whole history of the Canterbury Horticultural Society and indeed the parks and gardens in Christchurch is something you know plenty about. Well, it has been an interest from early days and particularly, I guess, in my latter years. But when we talk about the Horticultural Society today... Uh, people sometimes ask as to why Christchurch became so involved in parks and gardens and horticulture and what the interest was. And what was that reason for? <laughs> well, I think we need to go back a little bit before the early European settlers to uh, England itself, where the, during the 19th century there was considerable interest. Gardening was very popular, particularly amongst the middle class, and it was a time of great explorations to various parts of the world when many new plants were brought back to England. So those early settlers from the 1830s, 40s, and of course 1850s onwards, brought with them a considerable body of horticultural skills and knowledge which they developed in their homeland. And then of course as they came over to their new land, I guess they brought them with them and brought some of them back. Oh yes, they did bring seeds and plants and even quite mature trees were brought over and planted in this fledgling city. But of course food was the primary thing and the Canterbury Association was very aware of this and ensured that 
there was land cultivated in advance of the 1850s onwards immigration. Of course, we had families like the Deans Brothers in what is now Rickerton and the Gillespies and Rhodes and others on Banks Peninsula who established gardens in the late 30s, 1840s, so that when the settlers arrived in those first four ships, and may I add, between 1850 and 18, March 1853, no less than 25 vessels arrived. So by that time, there were some thousands of new settlers in this area. Yeah, and I guess they all had to be fed because it isn't as though an aeroplane could just drop off a, a couple of tonnes of food, could they? <laughs> I know, no, they, food was the primary thing. They, they did bring some seeds with them, but uh, there are also gardens established, the Deans brothers I mentioned, and also the, we must not forget the Maori, who themselves were great gardeners by this time. They learned from the, they had their own skills, of course, and knowledge, and they supplied many of the vegetables for the European settlers as they came here. Yes, wasn't there some, I mean, this is sidetracking a bit, but wasn't there some big Maori gardens up in Kaipoi Way or somewhere up there? Oh, yes, true, yes. In fact, throughout New Zealand, the, the Maori, as I say, would clear areas of bush and plant their cumin and other crops. But, of course, they also, once the Europeans arrived, they had new vegetables and they were very successful in growing crops there too. CHS, Canterbury Horticulture Society, where did that spring from? Right, so as I may have indicated that quite early on, in fact in December 1852 was the first horticultural exhibition held in what is now Hagley Park, quite close to Regan Avenue. It was on the 16th of December commemorating the arrival of the first of those four ships and it was comprised of fruit and flowers and vegetables at that time. Goodness, 1852. Yes. Goodness, so, yeah, they'd really got stuck in then, hadn't they? Oh, yes, yes. As I say, there's a great interest, certainly in, in edible crops, but also, what's amazing, the range of flowers and fruits that were brought over and which were already growing here, and despite the hardships and the barrenness of the land and the deprivation, uh, cold winters, lack of shelter, you name it, there's still those who persisted and growing flowers for beauty, as well as their vegetable crops. Now, following that, there were two societies formed, one at Littleton and one in Christchurch, competing with each other, but because of the small population, they just failed to survive. But from that, from that uh, arose this new organisation, the Christchurch later Canterbury Horticultural Society, and that happened, the date in fact is the 10th of December 1861, a public meeting was called and from that this new horticultural society, Christchurch Horticultural Society was formed as I indicated that later became the Canterbury Horticultural Society. And that's why we're celebrating our 160th this year so I think we're pretty proud of that. Oh yes, absolutely. Uh, the Canterbury Horticultural Society was not the first in New Zealand, but I would suggest is probably by now the oldest that has survived to the present time. If not so, it's pretty close to it. I think Dunedin has just celebrated 165, have they? Yes, I believe Dunedin was before, yes. And in the North Island, the Wonders Society is there. I'm not sure they all survived, but... Uh, 
But having said that, um, I would suggest that the Canterbury Horticultural Society, through its long history, has had a significant impact on the garden development of, of the city. Uh, its influence has been right from the early days in fostering and encouraging plants and gardens and horticulture. Who were the founding fathers of the Canterbury Horticulture Society? Well, I think the first uh, president was uh, Superintendent Morehouse. So we had among the uh, founding members uh, people of influence and holding quite influential positions. Yeah, and their statues are all around the park too, aren't they? <laughs> oh, yes. Yes, they are indeed. They are indeed. But uh, I think more importantly, the people who joined, became part of the society, as I say, were visionaries, they were enthusiastic, they had knowledge and skills, and they wanted to share that with others. So uh, starting from 1861, uh, in 1862, there was a significant horticultural exhibition held in uh, what is now Cathedral Square, the Government Gardens, which attracted a lot of interest, and shows and exhibitions have always been part of the Horticultural Society. But maybe equally significant, in 1864, the Society began a series of monthly lectures, and they could draw on the people who had arrived here who had the knowledge and skills, and that was an uh, opportunity to share information. People would bring along their plants and, and, and show what they'd grown, and so there was a general fostering of plants and horticulture and a love for gardens. Hasn't much changed, has it? <laughs> I mean, I go around the garden clubs and every month somebody talks about, you know, how they're growing things in their garden and they bring their plants along and we do the same at our meetings. Yes, exactly. And of course, having shows and exhibitions, it, it had that competitive element. So it encouraged people to try new varieties, to grow things better, to grow things to a high standard. So fruit and vegetables were on display and people could compare and uh, say, well, look, I'll have a go at this and see if I can do better. Uh, another point of interest, about that time, uh, the early 1860s, that uh, Provincial Councillor Stevens joined with members of the Horticultural Society to discuss the siting of a new botanical garden. Oh, so early, early days, we were even involved in the botanical gardens, were we? Very much so. And in fact, land was allocated to the society to plant trees, so the society members set about planting some of the first trees that later became part of the Botanic Gardens. So the society had a role right from the founding of the Botanic Gardens. So we've now turned full circle, having arrived here just recently in the heart of the Botanic Gardens, which I think is rather fitting that we have a place here. Yes, and are some of those early trees still in existence or have they all gone by the wayside by now? Well, unfortunately, I don't think there's any of them were marked or identified as such, and we cannot say with certainty. But the records show clearly that the society was involved in the early days. I think part of that party, party also included Enoch Barker, who was the first city gardener appointed by the provincial government, who was, took charge initially of these, these gardens here. Oh, really? That was quite forward-thinking, wasn't it? Oh, yes, yes. As I say, the city was planned, of course, with uh, Jolly was one of the surveyors and Captain Thomas was the chief surveyor. And they set about with these, laying it out in this very formal 
manor. It wasn't originally going to be where it is. <laughs> they had their sites over on the hills, but eventually settled on this area. And um, the original plan uh, allowed for streets. In fact, it was Jolly himself who uh, suggested to double with the streets to allow for planting of trees. Now, that was quite forward thinking. These people had come from industrial England, notwithstanding the interest in gardens and horticulture. Uh, the industrialisation left a lot of people in considerable poverty, deprived of parks and gardens. Uh, though fortuitously in the 1840s also, just digressing slightly, there was a, a new Parks Act, Open Space Act enacted, which enabled uh, new parks and reserves in, in England itself to be set aside for the public. Formerly, the, the main parks were privately owned or in royal parks. So the point I'm trying to make is that New Zealand was quite forward in realising the, the need for open space and public parks for the health and well-being of its citizens. And Christchurch was a leader in this field from its early days. Yes, and oh, what a, what a wonderful asset this Botanic Gardens is to the city, isn't it? Oh yes, it has been recognised internationally for it, its collection of plants and uh, so forth and exchange of seeds through many botanical institutions worldwide. Um, and so coming back to society, so as I say, right from the early days it has played quite a significant role. Uh, just digressing slightly, there's some things perhaps... <laughs> On another note, in 1866, uh, about the time we're speaking of, it's interesting to note that the population of Christchurch was some 7,000 people, and there were 56 hotels <laughs> to cater for the thirsty population. My goodness me! <laughs> <laughs> yes, and it's also recorded, this is a rather sad note actually, between 1850 and the, the turn of the century, no less than 105 people drowned in the River Avon, the majority of whom were apparently drunk. So they fell off the horse or their bike or something. Yes, yes. <laughs> oh dear, oh well, no, we could go on for hours with this, yes. but I think we've probably run out of time this time, so we'll have to get you back again for a bit more, more recent history. <laughs> oh yes, there's a lot more could be told <laughs> of the society and, and its role and its... Uh, in the city and, and its cooperation with the council itself in promoting gardens and horticulture, yeah. which has uh, continued uh, to the present day virtually. That's right, that's lovely. Lovely to be talking to you. Well, good heavens, here we are already at the end. As always, we just yeah. end up talking too much. But yes, so well, there's a lot to talk about, though, isn't there? I know, but I think yeah. this time of year for people, yeah. just stop being too enthusiastic and yeah. don't put too much in your garden now. No. no. Give the soil a chance to rest. So yeah. any questions, any comments for us, um, you can ring into Plains FM on 365 7997 or send an email to info at dot org dot nz and i'll see you next month okay and and put your garlic in <gasps> oh, i will 